0: Welcome to another episode of Uncharted, the UN Watch podcast. My name is Hannah and I am the Morris B. Abram Fellow at UN Watch in Geneva, Switzerland. On June 13, 2022, UN Watch hosted a side event as the UN Human Rights Council's new commission of inquiry targeting Israel presented its first report. The remarks you will hear on this podcast were originally delivered at this side event during a panel on the root causes of the conflict and allegations of systematic discrimination. panel's first speaker was Anne Hertzberg. Anne is a human rights lawyer, author, and NGO Monitor's legal advisor and UN representative.
1: Thanks for having me here at this very important event today. Our reports are available on the NGO Monitor website, so I encourage everyone to take a look at them if you'd like more details for what I'm going to speak about today. I'm going to be talking about the COI and this charge of apartheid and I'm gonna use the Human Rights Watch report, which was released about a year ago, as the case study for that, but I just wanna make two preliminary remarks that built upon what Colonel Kemp and Lieutenant Colonel Korn said at the last panel. And the first thing is that Lieutenant Colonel Korn spoke of a disconnect that is going on with this effects-based analysis versus what the laws of armed conflict require. And the reason we are seeing this disconnect in these COI reports, and this is not the first time this has happened, this is a pattern that's been going on since the Goldstone report in 2009, is precisely due to the lobbying of NGOs like Human Rights Watch. These are the organizations that are pushing this disconnect and trying to bifurcate the laws of armed conflict from international criminal law and from international human rights law. In addition, they also spoke about looking at the foundation of conclusions that are in these reports. And this is also a critical point, that most of these commissions do not have the independent capability to conduct investigations, and therefore they rely almost entirely on reporting and claims from NGOs, and they do not verify those claims. They simply repeat them in their reports. It's simply a cut and paste job. So again, that's what we're seeing here. And again, Human Rights Watch, as I'm going to get into, you can see their work all throughout this first report of Pillay's Commission of Inquiry. Now, the key purpose or one of the key purposes of the Palais Commission is to set the stage to accuse Israel of apartheid. And again, as, as Hillel noted, the word does not appear in this report except for a brief reference to the convention. However, a lot of the language that's being used and the terminology is being drawn from these apartheid reports. And they're setting up the argument. They're echoing a lot of the arguments that are seen in these reports. And I'm going to get into a little bit of the background, which I think is very important, because I think that's going to clue us in as to when they are going to put these accusations clearly in their subsequent reports. And I also just want to highlight that on Thursday this week, the Committee on the Inalienable Rights of the Palestinian People in New York is hosting a conference on apartheid with Agnes Kalmar who is the executive director of Amnesty International as well as Prince Zayed who is the former high commissioner for human rights so lest anyone think oh apartheid was not in this report that is not on the agenda anymore it is clear that that is on the UN agenda they are just building up their case for it so it's very important to take note of all of these details that are happening on the sidelines now Two background events have taken place, which is why Human Rights Watch issued its report when it did and why Human Rights Watch's report was influential. Number one, in 2019, the prosecutor of the International Criminal Court filed with the pretrial chamber of the ICC a request to confirm jurisdiction to open a full investigation in the situation of Palestine, even though Israel is not a member of the ICC. And in February 2021, the pretrial chamber agreed in a controversial two-to-one decision to confirm that jurisdiction. So the prosecutor in March opened a full investigation. And in the Rome Statute, which is the governing treaty of the ICC, there was a crime against humanity of apartheid. Secondly, in April 2021, the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination decided that it had had jurisdiction to hear a 2018 complaint filed by the Palestinians accusing Israel of discrimination and apartheid. This was the first time this procedure has ever been used, and the Office of Legal Affairs of the UN did not agree that the CERD had jurisdiction. Nevertheless, the CERD decided to go ahead, and they actually convened their first hearings a few weeks ago. So Human Rights Watch's report needs to be seen in this context. The report was issued in April 2021, and, time to take advantage of these developments. And when you look at the recommendations of HRW's report, you will see how it ended up influencing what happened. So when the conflict broke out, not as the report says, with the incidents in Sheikh Jarrah, what they conveniently leave out of the report is actually, why did the conflict start? In April 2021, in the lead up to Ramadan, there was an increasing incitement campaign by the PA and by Hamas targeting Jews and revolving around the Temple Mount. And there were a series of attacks on visibly Orthodox Jews by Palestinians. And these attacks were being filmed and posted on TikTok, which was leading to a spate of attacks. And then that led to a bunch of rioting on the Temple Mount. Then we had the Sheikh Jarrah protests. And then the rockets were fired on Jerusalem, the six rockets. That is why the conflict then grew in intensity. The council used this conflict then as a perfect pretext and then coupled with HRW's report to instead investigate what they call the root causes of the conflict, including systemic discrimination. Now I'm gonna read to you two recommendations that were in HRW's report. First, quote, support the establishment of a commission of inquiry by the UN to investigate all forms of systemic discrimination or repression based on group identity in Israel or the OPT. That's one recommendation. Second one, quote, establish through the UN an International Commission of Inquiry to investigate systemic discrimination and repression based on group identity. The inquiry should be mandated to establish and analyze the facts, and where applicable, identify those responsible for serious crimes, including apartheid and persecution, with a view to ensure that the perpetrators of violations are held accountable as well as collect and preserve evidence related to abuses for future use by credible judicial institutions. The inquiry's mandate should be sufficiently broad to cover the role of other actors, including companies and officials of other states. And lo and behold, this mirrors the mandate to a T of the COI. We have, by their own admission, if you look at their FAQs on the website, they admit it's the most unprecedented broad-based inquiry that the Human Rights Council has ever had. They've set up this inquiry to collect evidence that they hope to send to the ICC and that they hope will be preserved for use in domestic cases across the globe. So you can see how the recommendations in their report fit in perfectly to what the Human Rights Council was doing. Now, to turn to the report itself, I'm just gonna highlight a few aspects of it. Uh, The release of the report was accompanied by a massive PR campaign promoting the narrative that previously the apartheid charge had only been confined to a few radical actors, but things had gotten so bad that a threshold had been crossed and now mainstream groups like Human Rights Watch could no longer remain silent. But in fact, the charge has a very long history rooted in Arab and Soviet propaganda. And again, that's in our reports and we're actually doing a lot more writing on this and we're going to be publishing subsequent reports during the next year. Human Rights Watch report was actually basically a recycling of a report by Palestinian activists and UN rapporteur John Dugard in 2009. So they were basically recycling this 10-year-old report, and it's critical to note in the report it is based on an invented law of apartheid that is aimed at decontextualizing apartheid from what occurred in South Africa from 1948 to 1994, give or take, and it's essentially what I call a Franken definition of apartheid. It mashes together the aspects of various legal instruments, notably the 1973 apartheid convention and the ICC Rome Statute. It fudges the concept of race to accuse Israel and Jews of racial discrimination. And also the concept of race is integral to the definition of apartheid. And it also equates the concept of domination, which is another core element of the crime, with simply that of control rather than, again, stripping the notion of aggravated racial discrimination that is key to the crime of apartheid. Another pernicious aspect in the HRW report, and this is clearly echoed in Pillay's report, is that while it claims to only be accusing at this time, note, at this time, of Israel practicing apartheid in the West Bank, Gaza, and East Jerusalem, A significant chunk of HRW's report focuses on supposed policies that are taking place in Israel. And again, we see this in Pillay's report. And there are many factual errors and distortions. And really, to do a comprehensive debunking of these claims would require hundreds, if not thousands, of pages. Again, you can go to our reports to see some of this debunking. But also, primarily, it's erasing the history of the conflict and taking out the security context. It also ignores over time that the government has taken measures to ameliorate policies and practices that could be discriminatory and the types of policies that are present in every country of this world. There is no country in this world that does not have discriminatory practices and policies and can do better. But the core point of what HRW is doing is it's basing its legal claim of apartheid on the core foundational features of Israel as the nation state of the Jewish people, most prominently the law of return. So in other words, the entire report is aimed at attacking the legitimacy of the international legal foundations of the Jewish state. And you see this in its most extreme form in the Amnesty International report that came out in February and that was adopted by Michael Link in his March 2022 report to the Council. HRW's recommendations in the report are clearly in line with this goal. So they call for extensive BDS measures by the entire international community like Apartheid South Africa. And what do we know about that campaign? That campaign was meant to eliminate the regime. And that's why they're adopting an Apartheid South Africa campaign towards Israel, because that's the goal. They call on the PA to end security cooperation with Israel. And they also demand that Israel implement a so-called right of return, which again would eliminate Israel as a Jewish state. So the police commission was clearly influenced by HRW. And I expect that as the commission continues its work, because as we know, it is a permanent commission and we will be having two reports from this commission every year now in perpetuity. (laughs) Um, We're going to be seeing more and more of the language of HRW's report. We're already seeing such things such as the term fragmentation of the Palestinian people. We're seeing that in this report already. It's clear they're building up to it. And I think what they're doing probably is waiting for the CERD committee to make some kind of recommendation so that they claim they have some back basis for adding it to their reports. And I think we'll also start seeing more and more of HRW's recommendations, BDS, right of return, featured more and more prominently in the upcoming reports by Pillay. So I will end it there. Thanks.
0: Anat Wilf also offered her expertise on this panel. Not is the author of War of Return and previously served as a member of the Knesset and a foreign policy advisor to Shimo in Paris.
2: Thank you and thank you for the honor of uh, being with UN Watch and especially in this panel to be with such impressive and courageous warriors, so thank you. The root cause of the conflict, the root cause of the conflict has only ever been one. And that is the complete denial and rejection of the universal right of the Jewish people to self-determination in their ancestral homeland. There has never been any other cause for the conflict. And because this has been the cause of the conflict, it has determined everything at every point. It meant that there was Arab opposition to Jewish immigration to the embryonic state of Israel, closing the gates to the Jewish people at their most desperate hour. That is before there is any occupation or settlements. It means that the war that was waged in 1948 was a total war against the establishment of a sovereign state for the Jewish people in any borders whatsoever. It means that no peace was made with that state once it was established in the war. It means that total war continued later. It means that in 1967, when the total war continued, even then there was refusal to make peace with the Jewish state. Therefore, Anyone who claims that Israel's military control of the West Bank and Gaza is the cause of the conflict either doesn't know history, doesn't know how to count. Israel's military control of the West Bank is an outcome, is a symptom. An outcome cannot be the cause. And the fact that despite multiple efforts, Israel could not end its military control Because at every juncture, when the Palestinians faced a choice, they could have a state for themselves, a fully sovereign Arab Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza with no settlements, ending the occupation, capital in East Jerusalem. Whenever they faced a choice that they could have that state, but the price of that state was that the Jewish people will have that state on the other part of the land, at least to date. They have decided that this is too high a price to pay. This is why Israel's military control of the West Bank remains, because whenever Israel seeks to end it in an agreement or otherwise, another clock is brought to bear. The Palestinian Arab clock that says Israel is a temporary foreign presence in this land, and we only have to be patient, uh, and they will ultimately disappear. This complete rejection was backed for many decades by the Soviet Union, by the Islamic world, and through that was brought into the United Nations, beginning especially in the 1970s, A lot of the traditional Soviet and European animosity was actually outsourced to the Islamic and Arab world for the purpose of ensuring that the Jewish state will not enjoy a single day of peace and a single day of legitimacy. But the Soviet Union is gone the Arab world is beginning to change its attitude. There is no single better word than Abraham to flip the traditional attitude of the Arab and Islamic world towards the Jewish state. If the traditional view has been that Israel is a foreign implant in the region and in order to convey that it was foreign, You say that it is a settler, white, colonialist. This is how you say it's foreign. And if it's foreign, it means it's temporary, because if anything is foreign, it has to be pushed out and ultimately will not last. This is the traditional view in the Arab and Islamic world. And this is the reason that no compromise is made with Israel. But then, under the Abraham Accords, this is flipped, the word Abraham. There's no better way to flip the narrative than to say, you are not foreign, white, settler, colonial implant in the region. You're Abraham. You're kin. You belong here, and we recognize you as a people with a history and a culture in this region, and we embrace you by virtue of belonging here." So, the Soviet Union is gone, some in the Arab world are no longer interested in committing their resources to fighting the Jewish state. So, as someone half-jokingly commented, when Europe realized that it could no longer outsource its anti-Semitism to the Arab and Islamic world, it's now bringing production back home. And this is what we're saying right now we see this linguistic change where it was once recognized that the conflict is the Arab-Israeli conflict. There is the numerical dominance of the Arab and Islamic world against the Jewish state, and it's a total war against the Jewish state. And then it became the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, inverting the conflict, making Israel the Goliath and the Palestinians uh, the David. But it was still a conflict, somehow saying that both sides have legitimate grievances. And then the Israeli-Palestinian conflict only became about the occupation, turning the Palestinians into victims, into passive elements in this element who have basically no agenda. But the problem with occupation is that it's still legal. An occupation is a legal way of governing a territory acquired in war until the status of that territory is resolved in peace. So now we move from occupation to apartheid, which brings us full circle to the beginning, because apartheid means that a Jewish state in any borders whatsoever is illegitimate. And that was the beginning of the conflict to begin with that a Jewish state in any borders is illegitimate and therefore total and complete war against it is the proper way to act. Why apartheid all of a sudden now? We look at this transition, we look at the West bringing production back home, creating the idea that its Jewish state is illegitimate. Has anything changed on the ground? Absolutely nothing. If anything, things have changed for the better. But all of a sudden, you have several organizations all saying the same things. If you try to ask yourselves, oh, what is the objective reason, you will not find an objective reason. The only way to understand it is to understand that the human rights regime, as much as it has noble ideals, it has also established itself as a modern secular church. With some of the beautiful ideals, but also with the same sinister notion that the Jews are always to blame. And the human rights is now the secular church of many. And they are telling them as the secular church, those are the people that are always at sin. They have a perpetual sin. This is why the current commission of inquiry is perpetual, because the Jewish state is always a sin. It does not matter what it did yesterday or today or tomorrow. This is a sin. And through that, the human rights worlds elevate itself once more to being, to having the mantle of the secular church. It is by now a theological obsession with the Jews and the Jewish state, which is why we are participating in the equivalent of the medieval debates. When the Jews had to debate against Christianity, and when they won the debate, they were massacred, and when they lost the debate, they were massacred. And this is but a modern reiteration of these medieval debates, with the happy change that we can now protect ourselves. But to end on an optimistic note, because so much of this is perennial, about a few years ago, there was an interview in a documentary with someone who was still alive of the perpetrators of the Munich massacre. The Palestinian kidnapping, torture, and attack of Israeli athletes in the 1972 Munich Olympics, a high point in the moment of putting the Palestinian so-called cause on the international stage. And the perpetrator was very much proud of it. He said, this has been our greatest achievement. Beginning at that moment, we have placed the Palestinian cause on the international stage. And I thought to myself, Very well. A great achievement in your world. And what sense? What have you achieved since? And I think this goes to the core issue. As long as the Palestinian cause remains as a top priority, the non-existence of the Jewish state, it will continue to fail because this is a destructive cause And this is a cause that brings nothing good to the world. The day that the Palestinians will finally adopt a constructive cause, a cause that is to build a Palestinian state next to Israel, rather than instead of Israel, that is the day that they will both have their state and that we will all have peace. But to get to that point, They have to extract themselves from being the servants of the ancient hatred of so much in Europe against the idea of the Jews being sovereign, equal, and masters of their fate. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Uncharted, the UN Watch podcast. See you next time.